Welcome back to Inside the Capital. I'm Josh West. And I'm Colin Walkie. I think well, I finally got it done. You did it, man. On the last right. episode of the first session of the 58th, it's 26th of May. And we are one day away from, from gaveling out for, for this first session of the 58th. And so that everybody knows, uh, we have to be done by Monday. Is Monday the 31st? Well, we have to be at the moment by the last Friday. Is it the Friday? Constitutionally, the last, yeah. yeah. The last Friday of May. So we're getting down, done a day early. Uh, but uh, I, I do have a question. Do you know why we're not getting out today? Uh, I would assume because if there are if, if there's a need to override a veto, we would have that day tomorrow because we'll run the rest of the legislation today. I don't know how many. we got three pages of bills probably. And then if there – and I don't know if the governor is not in town today. But if there were a need to override a veto, then we would have tomorrow to do yeah. so. Well, and, and there may be some that he's already that he's already vetoed that right. we may be looking at. But so uh, let's kind of give the listeners a end of the year recap. So West, uh, were there any highlights this session? Uh, obviously, sixteen oh two, but other highlights that uh, you want to talk to your constituents about? You know, this this year, I mean, honestly, and I think both sides would agree. It may not be the budget that you guys would have liked, but it's a pretty good budget. It's a great Absolutely. budget, honestly. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> I, I think. You know, just looking back, this is uh, the last year's just been a totally different year because last year we left in March to call the chair for COVID. And then we came back in May and finished up. And then we went through a whole interim of dealing with COVID and everything that that comes with it, whether you're rural or urban. I mean, there were different scenarios based on what part of the state we're from. But we came back in the session. It was a pretty much a normal session. And honestly, like I said, it was a, it's a great budget. We had a really good year, but I think it was overshadowed by a lot of, personally for me, you know some of the some of the things that I really wanted to hit this year. Uh, one of them was obviously data privacy, and then we did the interim study, and we brought people through the whole process, and um, and then uh, you know the rural representatives and senators are still dealing with the the black market, you know the the crime rings with with medical marijuana. Did and, Governor Stitt end up signing the the watered down version? Of yeah, the bill? you know the so the bill the, originally the intent of twenty two seventy two was to cap commercial licenses and it didn't stop them it capped them for two years and then it had a provision in there where if the license were to drop below a certain number then they would open it back up and so that was taken out by the senate their their argument was and and that's the thing you know when it goes to the senate uh, that's the process It, it can change over there we all know that and um you know, based on the vote out of the House with, that still had the cap in it, I think we had 68 or 69 members. It was kind of a rural-urban split, and we've talked about it before. Uh, a lot of the issues that you see down here in the city, uh, you, you don't see issues that we see in rural Oklahoma. You see dispensaries, right. and you have some indoor grows and processing facilities, but you don't see the huge um, farms that are growing. I mean, there's one farm in Oklahoma that grows enough medical marijuana that they can provide every patient in Oklahoma with with they're a pound of weed or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that one farm could take care of the whole. We have thousands and thousands. We have 200, over 200 just in Delaware County alone, a county of 35,000 or 38,000 people, whatever it is. Um, and so I was disappointed with that. The bill that passed was the watered-down version. It did require um, – a business, whether it's a dispensary, a processor, or a grow operation to disclose under perjury if they are uh, being backed by a foreign entity. I thought that was good. And it was retro, so even existing businesses. Now, a criminal's a criminal. I doubt that a, a, a criminal's going to be jumping up and down to tell the truth about this. But those were issues that we tried to address. And it also put some pressure on the OMA to do their job. Mm-hmm. 
to actually go out and ensure that this is a legitimate business, whether it's, you know, one of the three categories we talked about with the dispensaries, grow operations or processors, they had to go, they have to um, go out and ensure that, you know, because by virtue of the price of a license, we're the cheapest in the nation. That's, yeah. that's no secret. We've got more commercial licenses in Oklahoma than any other state combined to include California and Oregon and Colorado that have been in this a long time. Um, but it requires the OMMA to, to go out and inspect and ensure that if, if they if they have a, a grow license, that that's a legitimate grow operation. If they have a dispensary license, that they're actually operating a dispensary and processing and so forth. And so I thought those were positives. We've talked about a lot. You don't get married to bills, and there's no perfect bill. But the bill that was passed, um, you know, the second time it came through the House with the Senate amendments, it passed by a lot higher number than, than the, the first one. I mean, and so, you know, it was good. It wasn't perfect. I'm glad to see some moving. I think it's something that we, we will be addressing for years and years to come. We talked about it in 18 when it passed, and we got put on this special committee, um, you know, with conversations with the su- subject matter experts that were here testifying. You know, they, they all said that, you know, especially the states that had passed medical marijuana 25, 30 years ago, they're still working on it. So this is going to be something we have to address. I know FedGetter is really trying to address the black market stuff with requiring, um, you know, they, they passed a limits bill that had uh, built into the limits bill that the OMA has to bring on so many more inspectors. And a limits bill is basically telling people how, uh, telling state agencies how to spend particular yeah. dollars. And so I think that will help you get more inspectors on the ground. I think, you know, conversations back home. Um, I was at a baseball game on a Friday about three weeks ago, maybe a month ago. And one of my um, engineers for the, the local um, electric co-ops was there. And he was just talking about, you know, they got to provide electricity service to these big groves. And some of them are on, you know, 100 acres, 200 acres, 400 acres. And within that acreage, you'll have – it's kind of separated in the camps, essentially. I've, I've got some pictures of, of one of the big grows in, in Delaware County, and at nighttime it looks like a city out there in the field. There's so much electricity being used. But when they go and do the engineering work to set up the, um, you know, to provide electricity to them, he said it's it, – it, he, he doesn't feel safe at times. You know, they're walking around, they're – um, they're not from here. They're, they're carrying, they're getting to carry their guns because well, it's constitutional carry. And I don't have a problem with that, but it's the fact that, um, you've got people here that don't know our customs and, you know, the, I, I, I have said it all along. The, the medical marijuana industry is, is wild west here. And until we really, and, and, and to that point, um, the Bureau of Narcotics has been very active in the last month with busting some of these really big grows. And they're all mm-hmm. these grows, every single one of them they have busted, at least the ones we've seen, you know, in I the saw media. One in Logan County, I think. Yeah, and they're all foreign ago. nationals yeah. running these. And so it's going to be, you know, I've, I've had a lot of people that have called me in the last this session um, from back home. Um, a lot of those people that stump for the state question, gathering signatures that run at a true medical program, they're realizing now that it's not. And I've had people saying, what do we have to do to repeal this? And I said, well, it's there. All you got to do is do an initiative petition and get it put it on the ballot. I think, honestly, if it were put on the ballot today, after you know three years, uh, people in rural Oklahoma that have seen um, the program, how it is right now, they probably wouldn't have voted for it. See, that's interesting because I, I think that in spite of um, the the problems with our medical marijuana program, I think that most people would still support it. Now, again, that may be because of the constituencies that I represent versus the constituencies that you represent because, you know, a lot of the complaints that I receive are, are the smells within the neighborhoods from some of these dispensaries and small, yeah, uh, grow operations. Um, and I'll tell you, you know, this session – 
I think that every session is, is different and we have different challenges. When we first came in in the 56th, it was the budget crisis. Um, in the 57th, we had COVID in the second term of our session. Um, oil drop. Oil, yeah. And then this session, you know, I think my biggest concern that I've had from this session is that we're passing, in my opinion, a bunch of reactionary legislation. Uh, we've seen a lot of legislation coming out about mask mandates and those sorts of things. And I wish that we would treat our uh, policy decisions a lot more like scientific decisions, where, where we sit back, we think about it, we cogitate it, we look at the evidence, we look at the, the pre pros and cons, um, and we don't just rush through reactionary legislation, which I, I think is a lot of what we've seen this session. Um, I will agree with Representative West that the budget this year is a really good budget. Uh, it certainly isn't everything that I wanted, uh, but it is a good budget. Uh, and I do think that we've moved Oklahoma forward in several other areas. Areas. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we need to be a lot more wise and cautious and judicious about the legislation that we pass. Legislation isn't supposed to be easy to get through, which is why, you know, it's got to go through both chambers. If it gets amended, it comes back. It's not supposed to be an easy process. Yet on a lot of these hot button topic issues, they just fly through without much thought or consideration. There's some legislation we're on their fourth and fifth readings. Yeah, because you know, it'll go back and forth to the chambers, and they go to conference. It'll come out of conference. The, you know, the agreement's still not there, so it comes back, and you have until that last day to to push it through. Now, the the dangers of that is, you know, you pass these these bills that will run today. Um, if the governor vetoes any of those bills, we we don't have the time to come back and override. That's them. right. So I I think the part of the budget that um, I, I'm really excited about the work that, that we've done in this chamber in the last five years that we've been here with mental health, you know, I think on both sides, I mean, people see that most, most people have experienced some form of either had a family member or experienced themselves some needing mental health help. And I think that the stigma is uh, every year we kind of chip away at that stigma and it's still there, mm -hmm. but people are more apt and willing to support legislation because they see the benefit of, of, um, you know, investing and in, especially kids while they're young, and the thought is, you know, you invest them and get their help while they're young, and you're probably not going to be paying, uh, or you're going to cut down substantially on those numbers of paying for, to keep them in prison when they're adults and paying twenty-five thousand, you know, plus dollars a year to keep them in. I was also glad we saved money. I know it wasn't. I know you you would want them to spend some more of that money, but I, I look back in 2019, we had a big we had a big balance that we put back in the rainy day fund, and and remember the historic floods. Yeah. I mean, and I was—I remember talking to Ben Loring uh, after session. We were at Boy State, and we always go up there for Boy State. It's up at Miami at, at NEO A&M College there, and and uh, we, they have a legislative forum, uh, a forum on that last day. And I was talking to Ben in that forum, and he was talking about the the rainy day fund. I said, "Well, Ben, I want you to look out in the parking lot here at NEO because the parking lot is underwater, and NEO is a big uh, agriculture area, and so there's a lot of a lot of row crop farmers and and." Their, their crops were destroyed. And I said, I would say that it was a good decision that we saved a lot of that money because we're not going to see that in return because of this flooding. We're not seeing the, they're not selling their product and we're not getting that revenue into the state. And so I, I think it's always a good thing to save money. But see, that, that's so, I mean, I don't disagree. Obviously, I think there's an argument about how much money we should save versus spend. But 
you know, the flip side of that coin is we cut income tax and corporate income tax here in this state. And that's what got us into the problem the last go around. And the fact that we're doing it again, to me, uh, you know, we think that, okay, well, we're saving money. Great. But now we're going to take in less money next year. Uh, so we may end up having to spend that. I, I don't think it was wise. I don't think our businesses asked for it. I don't think our people asked for it. We already have one of the lowest income taxes uh, rates in the nation. I mean, I understand that some states don't use income tax, but they use uh, higher ad valorem taxes. Um, so I, I really just, I, I thought that that was one of those pieces of legislation where you're kind of re- robbing Peter to gave, get uh, to pay Paul, because to your point, we saved money, but now we're going to take less. You in. never know. You have to use that money. It's a thing. Every, we've, we've talked about it often. The, the budget every year is, it's an estimate. You know, there's never anything set in stone. When those numbers come out, um, what, what is it right before session called? What's it called? The, um, Oh, you're talking about when the uh, – oh, good Lord. Uh, Use Jason Warfare. What's it called, Jason? <laughs> when, the, when they come out with a budget every February? Please don't edit this out. We want the people to realize it's uh, – We don't take notes. Anyway. Yeah, that, yeah that, that meeting, that meeting. Yeah. yeah. So when they come out with a number, that's based on estimates and, and everything else. And so you never know when you're going to have to need that, that money. Um, the first time we ran the income tax reduction – I voted against it, not for the reason that, that, that the Democrats did. There were a few Republicans that voted against it. Uh, my thing was I didn't like the fact that we were um, putting the $30 million. The cost for earned income credit back into it was $30 million. Um, I just have a, a hard time paying people that don't work to live in the state. And so that was my discrepancy with voting against it. I voted for it when it came back to the House the second time. Well, and you bring up a good point, because one of the things that we did do this year was restore the earned income tax credit. Um, and so if you all noticed the votes on that, you probably saw that the majority of Democrats, maybe all of the Democrats, I'm not they sure. voted for it, I think. Well, I, the I first mean, go I, around. Well, right, but this go around when they amended it, because what they ended up doing was decoupling it from the federal uh, level of the earned income tax credit. Um, and that's why I voted against it. And I think several other Democrats did as well. It's always been a high priority for Democrats. I filed legislation on it several years. I just think that the decoupling from the federal rate uh, was a mistake. Um, but And that's the reason I voted for it. Um, because I feel like if the, when the, it's just like uh, the Medicaid expansion, we, we don't know when the federal government's going to change the rules that we're playing by around, right now with this 90 to 10 match. And so I thought it was important to separate them and and decouple from that federal, you know, the, the feds could change the rate at any time, and and that thirty million could go up a lot higher. And so, uh, we all have different reasons for voting for or, uh, uh, or against as Republicans and Democrats. And so, I did support it when it came back to the House as a as a true um, cut and not a incentive where you had or, to yeah. Well, and to credit. that to that point, I think I did vote for the personal income tax credit the first when it, when it first came through the house and then when it got admitted on the senate side and immediately became a cut that's when i opposed it because just so that everybody knows and you probably already do in oklahoma in order to raise taxes you got to have 76 votes which is why west and i during our first session ended up with three special sessions uh that basically lasted the whole year and that was because we couldn't get 76 votes to raise taxes it's really hard to do it in this state I look at the influx of local dollars in all these communities. I mean, every town in my district, with the exception of maybe one, uh, and that was because one of the businesses, it was a Walmart that pulled out of one of my, my little towns, but they're up in, in, in receipts, tax receipts. And, and I think that's why you're, the state is in, I, I just, I've talked about it before, it's a, the state is in great shape yeah. financially. Um, 
So we'll see. I mean, we make decisions up here. Obviously, it, it affects more than our district. It affects the whole state. And that's the thing. We've got 101 uh, members spread throughout the state. I know when I run legislation, I'm voting on something. I'm not just voting on, on District 5, House District 5. I'm voting for the state of Oklahoma. So it'll be interesting to see. And to your point, um, we voted this year in, as part of the budget and otherwise to help improve the driver's license issues. And so yeah. I want everybody that's listening to this right now who's trying to renew their licenses to know that we, we have bumped up funding for that. We've done other rule changes and statutory changes with the hope and goal of actually getting more driver's license uh, or tag agents available and online to do both real IDs and just actual renewals. Well, and also there's a big backlog on those. Allowing our tag agencies to also um – you know, with the board C- of equalization, board of, that was that the word was we, were we were looking, looking at. Thank you, Warf. So every February, several times a year, the board of equalization will come out with a number. February is the number that we use and base our budget off of. That's what we were trying to figure out. Thanks, Jason. We we need Jason to be like um, Joe Rogan's sidekick, mm-hmm. uh, where he says, "Pull it up, Jamie." Yeah, that's what we need. Yeah, fact um, checkers. Now back to I don't know if I forgot what we were talking about. Uh, well, we were talking about the driver's license. Oh yeah, so CDLs are a big issue right now. Trying to get for those who have CDL license, uh, and a lot of them is like bus drivers at schools. Um, and of course, if you have a if you're a commercial operation with a trucking company or whatever, I mean it's it's hard to get a CDL right now. And those people are, um, it's you can plan out six months in advance, and sometimes you're not getting your your CDL renewed. So we we pass legislation to allow your local tag agencies to be able to process as well. So I think those are great bipartisan measures that were passed that are actually going to help people. Um, and so I, I hope that you know that it will do what we think it's going to do and, and it'll actually help you all out there and, and you won't have to call our office. And cause I can usually pick up the phone and make a call to, you know, the, the liaison through, um, for like DHS or whomever, oh, yeah. right, right. OESC for unemployment claims, yeah, but and help DPS and tag agents, it's different. We only have so many in the state. And so I can usually help facilitate it and, and, you know, bump it forward a little bit, but it's still, we're dealing with the same issues and it's been, this is the, this is probably the third year in a row that we've dealt with these. And, and of course it was compiled this year because of COVID and some of the, you know, they were shut down during the, the COVID. And, and, um, and so I, I think that it will help and it's not perfect like anything else, but it's going to, I think it's going to help at, at the end. Well, so uh, next session uh, is right around the corner. Uh, six months from now, we'll be back uh, getting ready for legislation. Have you thought about any legislation you're going to be running for next year? You know, I'm still going to work on this cap, um, and I'm sure that during the interim, I'm, I will be. Obviously, I'm not going to be here at the Capitol every you know Sunday through Thursday or Friday at least, and so I'll be up here probably a couple days a week. But I'll have a lot more time to get out of the district and actually, I, I want to be able to show people. I'm not just up here talking about these problems, but I want to I want to have the, the the proof and show people that I'm just not making these up, and my constituents aren't crazy. All rural constituents are not just gripey people. There, this is legitimate concerns, and, and we do have every drug cartel regime crime circle in the world operating in Oklahoma right now. And I don't think people understand that unless you're, you're seeing it. And so I'm going to continue to work on that. Obviously data privacy, we opened up a can of worms and we are not going to let go on that. And I think it takes one state to pass an opt in. And then when that one state does, it's a trickle down effect, domino effect. All other States will have, will we'll do this as well, because if one state's doing it and if these companies operate outside of just Oklahoma or whatever state passes it, and the good news is uh, that pretty much every piece of privacy legislation in the country uh, this year died, saving except for Virginia's. So we'd still be the third state to pass comprehensive, but we'd be the first with opt-in. I, I just, I don't, I just don't see. I can see the business standpoint how it's it's not fun, 
and you're when you're talking about 50 different states trying to develop their own privacy data laws i see that point but for a member to vote against it yeah. i don't i i have not gotten that i mean we passed it big in the house what 85 or 87 to 85 11 to 11 yeah um i don't know why a member would vote against ensuring that their their constituents that their data their private information is kept private that's a matter of that's not anything about business that's a constitutional matter I me mean, it's a matter of public safety as well well and to your point about the business side argument right because their goal here is profits and and whether we like it or not they have the right to come up and air, you know air their grievances and, and speak their voice about issues but what i don't understand about the patchwork argument the 50 state argument you know i don't want one state doing one thing all of these states are doing something fairly similar and if these tech companies would just abide by the strictest regulations which appear you know to me appears to be gdpr in europe if everybody just abided by the most strict regulations well then you don't have anything to worry about based on what other states do uh so that's what's frustrating to me i was sitting in uh on the floor yesterday my my desk mate is is representative judd strom from um Oh, I don't know if he's Washington County or Noana County. He's up there and, you know, kind of in that Bartlesville area, Hewlett Dam area. Uh, he had a pop-up on his phone, and he, he had went somewhere during uh, the day prior and purchased something with cash, never put it on his card. It was a cash money deal, hadn't been talking about it. And the next thing, it pops up. Did he send you that? No, but keep uh, going. It popped up on his phone. He's like, I don't know how this happened. I said, because your phone listens to every conversation you have that's why you, it was the ad it was an amazon ad for the exact thing that he purchased at a not not from amazon from a store with cash money yeah it was the exact thing they knew he was in the store because of geolocation absolutely well uh, the reason i was getting my phone out is because uh minority leader emily virgin last night uh tweeted at myself and representative west regarding why data privacy efforts are so needed and uh, she was retweeting an individual said i'm back from a week at my mom's house and now i'm getting ads for her toothpaste brand the brand i've been putting in my mouth for a week we never talked about it this brand or googled it or anything like that as a privacy tech worker let me explain why this is happening and he goes through and explains how using your mother's toothpaste can be picked up on by data privacy companies it's, it's, it's There's crazy. so much that we don't know, and, and I think that we made progress just, just educating people. And if anything, um, people are actually starting to look into this, and it's it's starting the conversation. Are we going to be able to pass legislation? I don't know. I mean, we're always going to have a fight up here. AT&T, Google, Facebook, Amazon, you name it, all the big big companies, either tech or the big um, you know commercial shopping companies, they're always going to fight this stuff. So there is a bill that I'm hoping we won't see a fight on, but I'm, I'm betting that there there's a company out there that will. Uh, right now, and I was notified this because it's going on in Washington State, and they're probably going to be looking to go nationwide, and it's it's sold as a software to help uh, student identify students who are in need of mental health services uh, or, or social services in some sense. So it's a, it's a good idea. Um, but because of the way the data is run and managed, uh, it isn't protected by FERPA, the Federal uh, Education uh, Records Protection Act, and it's not covered uh, by HIPAA. And so you have all of these 6th, 7th, and 8th graders sitting there with laptops open on their desks, which everyone can see, and there are questions that pop up like, do your parents go to church? How often do they go to church? Do they fight? How often do they fight? Do they drink? Are you attracted to someone? Is that someone a boy or a girl? Do you have uh, guns in your house? Yeah. I mean, just all of these questions that should be treated as private, and they're not. And the worst part is, is the parents don't even know what's happening. Yeah, that should be a conversation with between the parent and the child. That's right. 
and it's not. And I think that well, and I don't even have an issue with them doing it in school so long as the parents consent to it. Like that, get, that doesn't even bother. That's it. Let the parents opt in. Back yeah, to the opt, opt in. in. That's yeah. right. Uh, and if yeah, absolutely. And so I, this is um, something bigger than we ever could have dreamed about. Just the the amount of data and information and private information that that goes out of your household that you don't know about. And I, I'm not going to quit work on it until we make some some headway on it. And I think that it'll continue to pick up steam um, with other members. And it's disappointing. Now now 1602 is not dead. That's right. Because it never got a hearing. And so you know I don't know if uh, the the Senate the chairwoman, the the committee that it was assigned to, will will you know, transfer to a different committee or give to it a, a hearing. Or if just knowing the chairwoman of that committee, she should be all over this. Yeah, I mean, she is a a very conservative um, Republican. That this should be a priority for her to ensure that her constituents' private information is kept private. And I don't I don't understand the fight, and that's what pissed me off about this whole year on that. And it kind of put a downer. But it's, but it's a lot of like a lot of things. I mean. Uh, while you can probably appreciate the fight a little bit more on your caps argument, that's the way it is in politics. Somebody has enough power to stop one bill and you go, why, why in the world would you do that? Yeah. Well, here's what I want to say is I want to say to everybody that's listening, um, you know, we're up here working hard for you and we're up here trying to do the right thing. We may not always agree on what that right thing is. Um, but, only through conversations and only through dialogue are we going to be able to come up to some modicum of an agreement, of compromise. And, you know, as a famous legislator once said, I believe in the principle of compromise, but not the compromise of principles. And I think too often in our society today, in our cultures today, uh, we treat every belief that we have as a principle, and they're not. Yeah. And I, I hope that we're all more mindful of that. I hope that this podcast has, has helped uh, show that to everyone. I think it is very important to compromise. I think that's part of making law. It's part of having the conversations. Now, like you said, I will never compromise my integrity or my moral compass. Uh, those are separate issues, but you have to compromise. Uh, that, that's just that's part of it, and, and there'll never be a single piece of legislation that is exactly the way either of us want it. Yeah. Um, there'll never be a budget that comes out of here exactly the way either of us want it, but the important thing is we are, and I, and I think it was very important for this for us to do this podcast this year because it did show people a different side of politics, especially with everything going on on the federal side. Uh, it showed people that we can have disagreements and talk together. And it's been a, it's been a great positive year for this. I'm glad we decided to do this. This has been a, this has been a project that, that it took a while for us to, to do it. Like I said, we bought podcast equipment last year and then we never got to get it going because we were sent home for COVID and it was, we had to worry about the right computer programs and, I'm not as techie as, as walkie. And so oh, I ain't very techie either. Uh, so, <laughs> but, but I, I, it's been a great podcast. Yeah. It's been a great year for doing this. And we and hope it's been educational for, for everybody out there yeah. too, a way to stay in contact with our constituents. I see this as getting bigger. We're going to continue to do this as for as long as we're here. And, um, and we'll do it a few times throughout the interim as well. So, yeah, uh, we'll, yeah we'll I, sure I won't be that. here every day, but I, there'll be some months where I will be up here two or three days a week. And so it depends on the interim studies and, and so we will kind of fill you along. Once the interim studies are released, it should be by August. All the interim studies have to be turned in. And the purpose of an interim study is to um, kind of let everybody outside the building know that you're working on um, legislation, to run legislation. And so I, I think that um, I don't run a whole lot of interim studies, um, but I, I always participate in a lot of them. And so we will keep you informed. And um, as always, we, although we're, we're not here every day during the interim, our, our office is always open. Our LAs will be here. So continue to contact our offices and, and let us know what's important to you. And, and um, 
you know, you guys elect us, you, you pay our salaries. And so we work for the people. And I think that that's the most important thing to remember in this job is um, everything we do is funded by our taxpayers. It's not about you. It's about the people. Well, Absolutely. you can check us out at www.okhouse.gov. Uh, go under the media link and click podcast, or you can check us out on Spotify. We now are up to 2 trillion listeners, Wes. Would you believe A that? A day, man. That is insane. That's, I never thought, um, you know, back on February the 2nd, that we've grown so quick. We went from one viewer, listener, to two trillion a day. <laughs> uh, before I leave, I need to give a big shout out to my beautiful wife, Elizabeth. Yesterday was our anniversary. We celebrated, and she came down here with the kids, was able to um, work out of uh, the office at the apartment. And, and so we went out last night and celebrated our anniversary, and have, we got to go out by ourselves. Um, Ethan, our, our 14-year-old, was watching the, the girls for us. Walker stayed back home. We had baseball, so... Uh, appreciate Beth and what she does. I appreciate what she does in the mental health community. And, and um, it's been, a, I think one of my girls is probably knocking on the door right now. So it's well, about time to wrap it up. Well, we need to give one more shout out too. And that's to Jason Wharf, who's on Absolutely. the house staff here and in charge of all the media. And he is a rock star. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because he's a constituent of mine. I'm saying that because he is Johnny on the spot anytime we need him for a press conference or a video or whatever it might be. So a huge thank you to Yeah, he staff. has a, a lot of responsibility outside this podcast. Any type of media stuff inside the house representative jason's the one setting it up and getting this thing going so he's running 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 if you look today in the in the, the media i would just just take a look at it i'm not going to mention anything but i'm assuming that he'll be very busy here in the next few days that's right well wes i'll see you on the floor here in a little bit Absolutely. thanks everybody see